Welcome to Oncology Morning Commute, antibody drug conjugates, and the changing relapsed or refractory diffuse large B-cell lymphoma landscape. Morning Commute is developed by Projects and Knowledge, powered by Kaplan, and is part of a continuing medical education series. This independent CME-CE activity is supported by an educational grant from ADC Therapeutics America, Incorporated. In the second podcast in this series, Dr. Paolo Cami and Dr. Juan Alderuccio discuss antibody drug conjugates as treatment options for patients with relapsed or refractory diffuse large B-cell lymphoma. They look at key trial data as well as treatment management in this disease. Information about the faculty and disclosures can be found at morningcommutepodcast.com forward slash B-cell2. You can use this link to receive your credit and evaluate this program. The URL can also be accessed in the episode notes. Dr. Kami is on staff in the Department of Hematology and Oncology at the Cleveland Clinic in Cleveland, Ohio. Dr. Alaruccio is an associate professor in the Department of Medicine at the Sylvester Comprehensive Cancer Center in Miami, Florida. I am your host, Candace Hoffman. Dr. Kami will begin our discussion. Welcome to our second podcast on diffuse starch cell lymphoma. Uh, Dr. Alderucho, welcome back. Um, we're going to continue our discussion and uh, now going to focus a little bit on antibody drug conjugate therapies and antibody drug uh, therapies as well as other drugs for uh, the relapse setting uh, of diffuse arch lymphoma. What are some of the antibody drug conjugates we have available right now? Thank you, Dr. Kenny. So um, the antibody drug conjugates currently available in patients with uh, relapsed refractory diffuse large piece lymphoma are uh, long-cast-toximab This is an antibody drug conjugate against CD19. Um, polatuzumab pedotin, that is an, uh, also an antibody drug conjugate against CD79B. And brentuximab pedotin, that is an anti-CD30. Um, what is your experience with uh, with these drugs to, uh, using treatment for diffuse lymphoma? Yeah, so longcastuximab um, has been approved by the FDA uh, in patients treated with at least two lines of uh, prior therapies. Um, it has approved after results of the LORIS-2 trial. Um, it's a medication that uh, has been shown a significant uh, overall response rate and CR rate. And I think what is important about the design of the LODIS-2 trial is that this trial allowed the enrollment of patients with primary refractory disease and also patients with high-risk features, such as patients with double heat and triple heat, that in some of the trials from other compounds in this setting were uh, excluded or were uh, not enrolled in this population. I think uh, it's, it's, a, it's an interesting point. I think one of the probably important things of, of both the three drugs that we talked about, long castuximab, polatuzumab, or brentuximab, they all have you know, activity and, and they work more like chemotherapeutic, targeted chemotherapeutic agents. They have a little set of cytotoxic component to them. They behave much more like chemo in my sense than true immunotherapies, right? Yeah. Um, and I think that, like, like you said, I think long Stuximab has, you know, I think moderate single agent activity. It's a drug, but also the interesting thing I think in its study was that, you know, you really had almost 
the population that is the one that you see in the refractory setting and or the relapse setting, people who have all kinds of risk, risk disease uh, and you know, particularly double hits, people who are primary refractory, uh, who fail cars. So I think in that sense, it was a very inclusive trial. Um, yeah. I think the interesting thing for, for Polatusumab is primarily the tolerability. I think it was interesting. I think the combinability with chemotherapy at the time was important. Although I think uh, I'm, I was somewhat underwhelmed about its single agent activity on the original studies, but I think in combination, I think it has you know good response rate. It, it did demonstrate improved outcome over bendamustine, although bendamustine, I think most of us uh, tend to think that it's not obendamustine rituximab. It's just not a regimen for diffuse therapies and lymphoma. Um, so certainly, I think it's it's a drug that has its space there, but in the combo, and the question is whether it has better partners, like we probably will see with the Polarix or, or subsequent combination with other drugs like bispecifics. Um, how about brentuximab? Do you use brentuximab application on diffuse B? I've had a little bit of experience with it, but I haven't I haven't used it. No. Yeah, I've had uh, I have been able to use it in combination for certain patients who have CD30 positive disease, and I think it still has some activity. Although it's a very restricted number of patients, I think primarily because of the CD30 expression of being that most that very common. Um, how about tolerability of these agents? I think it's kind of special because it has there's different components to them, right? Um, yeah. With both the target and the payload um, being part of it. Yeah, I, I agree. Um, so um, in with the long gastroxamab, it's important to remember the patient needs to receive dexamethasone uh, the day before, the day of treatment, and the day after to decrease the incidence of third space um, collection. That that was a potential uh, adverse uh, an adverse reaction observed in the prior in the phase one when. Uh, uh, pre-medication with steroids was was not mandatory, um, and also it's important to remember that a patient should avoid uh, sun exposure uh, because may develop rash uh, and sometimes can take long time to resolve in these in these patients. Also, patients need to uh, wait frequently uh, to monitor for uh, third space collection and uh, patients that. They increase the weight, uh, usually more than one kilogram per day. Uh, the use of diuretics, especially uh, aldactone, has been shown to also to partially at least address uh, these uh, adverse reactions. So there, um, these things need to be taken into consideration uh, when we use these, uh, this drug. Also, it's important to remember that in the Lodris 2, patients with third space collection, and patients with bulky disease defined with more uh, mass, more than 10 centimeters, were not uh, were excluded from the trial. So um, I think also we need to consider those two exclusion criteria at the time of selecting this compound in, in patients. Regarding polatuzumab, we, as you mentioned, we frequently use with vendamastin rituximab. Usually it's a Overall, well-tolerated drug. Um, the most common toxicities are neutropenia, and that's why patients need to um, usually use growth factor support to decrease the time or at least prevent partially this uh, toxicity. And then um, we observe some uh, anemia and thrombocytopenia. 
I have never seen significant uh, hematological toxicity with um, this comp with polatuzumab uh, plus metamazoprotoxumab. Um, so I don't think that it's a, a, a limiting toxicity in this in this setting. And uh, regarding brentuximab, vedotin, uh, the neuropathy, uh, it can be an issue. So also patients with significant neuropathy were were excluded from the from the from the trial. Yeah, I agree. I think one of the one of the particular characteristics of of antibody drug conjugates as a class is that they really cannot you cannot really consider them to have a class effect definition, right? Because it's really you can have different targets and different payloads, uh, and depending on that, you'll see different toxicities. And I think that's probably why. You see that difference between Lonca, Stuximab, Polatuzumab, uh, and, and Brentuximab because the payload is so different, and you know, with with a neuropathy component for the latter two, and and, and this, you know, sun sensitivity, fluid retention uh, for Lonca, which are you know first in class because the payload is the first one to be to, to first time it's included in a, a ADC. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that maybe the hematologic toxicity of Lonca, so it's somewhat more pronounced or or a little more of a common thing that we're used to manage. Although I think for for hematology people who treat lymphoma, uh, hematologic toxicity is not a major issue. I think it's probably it does take a learning curve uh, yeah. to manage these drugs. I think for Lonca, I think is knowing fluid overload is something that you have to be careful about. You need to. Uh, and also think the sun exposure is something that that can actually. I mean, I think we can do it here in Ohio, but I'm not sure you can do it there in Florida and in, in the you know almost all throughout the year. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think the other interesting thing for um, Pola Benda, oh, sorry, Polatuzuma Bendamastin, Brentuximab, as well as Longastuximab, all these drugs have their toxicities and and, and they have a, a specific peak. Uh, and time to kind of develop. And I think at least my approach with both polatuzumab and brentuximab is the moment I start seeing neuropathy, I know I need to start backing up because they can peak rather quickly. And I think with longastuximab, it may be rather similar, uh, except that the presentation is different, right? So I, I tend to, the moment you start seeing fluid retention, you should start thinking about doing interventions. You need to make sure you get the steroids before so I think that rapid escalation of, of adverse events without intervention is something that you need to kind of be aware of as a practitioner. Uh, and definitely the, the sun exposure is something that I, I think we, you know, we weren't used to uh, as much with most of the drugs that we use, although I think it's something we should be telling to patients even with chemotherapy. Um, how do you think this all fits in the, in, in the uh, armamentarium now, considering that we also have tavacidam and lenalidomide with a study that, um, the online study that allowed uh, treatment in second line and third line. How do you include these drugs, kind of in your in your you know tr- decision tree of of uh, of diffu- relapse diffuse therapies and lymphoma? Yeah, that's an interesting question. Um, so usually um, I prefer. So uh, as you mentioned previously, there, there are there, there are data supporting the use of lancastuximab after uh, CAR T failure patients. Um, so if a clinical trial is not available in this setting, especially the use of bispecifics, um, my, choice, my choice in this setting is to use longastuximab based on um, 
publications uh, of, on the use of longastuximab after. I try to, uh, I do uh, a same as in the trial, I, I repeat the biopsy and make sure that the patient, the lymphoma still uh, express CD19 um, before the use of uh, longastuximab. Um, Tafacitamab with lenalidomide and polatuzumab bedotin uh, both uh, were approved and the trials were in patients that were not eligible for transplant. So if a patient has worse performance status, uh, probably my selection, my selection will be to one of those. And I usually choose based on, on the um, presence of comorbidities or uh, presence of already uh, if the patient already has uh, neuropathy, um, I would try to, to avoid the use of polatuzumab bedotin because uh, although the incidence of neuropathy is lower compared to brentuximab, maybe an adverse reaction of this compound. So uh, in that population, I would use tafacitamab lenalidomide. Um, also, in the subgroup analysis of the bondamastin uh, rituximab with polatuzumab trial, Patients with GCV subtype didn't respond well. Um, this was a post uh, ad hoc um, subgroup analysis. But I, I try to don't take uh, decisions on subgroup analysis, uh, but the same uh, data was observed in the Polarix. So it seems that polatuzumab is not so effective in patients that do not present an ABC phenotype. So um, I, in a patient with um, GCV, uh, I may more and more inclined to use tafacitamab with lenalidomide. It's interesting. I think that uh, the abundance of options right now, I think we considering, you know, and this is not even talking about CAR-Ts, right? This is a patient that we would consider either after CAR-T or an, on a CAR-T ineligible patient, I think. Um, the way we're making our decision to, to offer different treatments probably varies about how, com how much comfort we have with our, with our treatments, uh, how much we've used them. Um, we are both spoiled in the sense that we probably have trials for most of these patients for whom we yeah. probably don't use the, the many of these drugs because we're putting our patients on trial. But I think um, it really comes to kind of having a little decision tree and algorithm that maybe is a little bit different for everybody. I have not necessarily taken into account uh, the cell of origin for use of polatuzumab-based uh, therapies, but I think that it may be an observation that's valid. I think it's, I found it interesting that both in frontline and second line that would work, second, third line would be an issue um, for a drug that you would think that would be cell of origin agnostic, correct? Um, but on the other hand, for me, it's, it's similar, although not exactly the same. I think I tend to prefer to use tafacitamab in the second line. I think half of the patients who, you, who, who were enrolled were patients who were A, transplant ineligible. Now I think cartine eligible patients would go that. I think the chances of response are probably rather higher on that group. Uh, late relapsers, uh, it gives me a little bit of option. It's usually for the elderly or very elderly patients for whom uh, that alternative uh, it's an option. I tend to worry a little bit about the doses of lenalidomide. Um, and I think that hematologic toxicity may be underestimated in that group and it, it's probably a little bit higher in real world. And then I think 
the decision is for you know postcard T relapses. I think uh, I'm I'm usually hinging between in a non-card T setting or a non-trial setting. I'm hinging between Lonka and Polatusuma BR uh, and thinking that you know the patient who's had significant neuropathy. A lot of our CAR T failures right now kind of come with their neuropathy because they've gotten chop and they've gotten ice uh, or they've gotten uh, platinum agent. So they kind of come with some neuropathy on board for whom polyatosoma may be a little bit of an issue. Uh, whereas I think Lonka is a little bit more manageable in terms of their side effect profile being different than what they've seen so far. Um, but I think logistics, fluid overload, I think are things that we that I tend to, tend to take into account. And I think I always worry with uh, CAR-T, I've been making sure that at least I attempt a biopsy showing persistence of CD19, although I think CD19, it happens in about a third, maybe somewhat less patients with diffuse RGPs and lymphoma who relapse after CAR-Ts, um, loss of CD19. Uh, but I think the trial, though these two required a biopsy on those people who had had a CAR-T prior uh, and having expression of CD19 was was um, was uh, desired for for patients to to be enrolled. Uh, not sure that that necessarily is necessary for a response. You may maybe it's lower rates of uh, expression of CD19 are still uh, useful for for Lonka, uh, but I think that was kind of how we, patients were enrolled. So I still check it. Yeah, yeah, I agree. And I think when we talked most about the adverse events, I think how do you uh, generally approach uh, a patient that fails this, this therapies, do you switch uh, switch them around, or or do you? you I mean, you're probably having trials. Um, what other considerations do you do you use? Do you do you use Selinexor much on these patients? No, I I I can never use Selinexor in this setting. Um, the overall response rate in the trial was. Um, pretty low was around uh, 28% overall response rate with a CR rate of 12% and also associated with a safety profile that may produce significant thrombocytopenia and the um, nausea associated with vomiting is not that drug that uh, I have used and I prefer I usually select other agents before choosing Selinex. Have you used it? I have used it. I think that the the, the again I, I think that the the problem with um, our, our our clinical experience with, with relapse therapy relapse age uh, therapies for relapse patients is that um, we generally have trials for these patients. I think most of our trials right now are probably with the drugs that are coming probably next in this setting, which will be by specifics or combinations of them. Uh, and I think that they, those deserve mention in this discussion. I think they probably will be part of this, uh, you know, make our decision tree even more complicated. Uh, yeah. Certainly CD20 slash CD3 uh, by specific antibodies will will make an impact in diffuse HB cell lymphoma. Um, I think there'll be interesting agents to, to evaluate uh, whether how they fit into this program. I think they they have significant activity I think they'll be interesting because they appear to be combinable agents. And the question is, can you combine them with cytotoxics if, if you need T cells for the for, for the response or does that matter at all? So I think it'll be an interesting interesting development. Certainly an area that's changing, right? I think it's 
change is uncomfortable, but it's definitely good for the press. No, I agree. And also if uh, the use of Polatusuma uh, with um, uh, in the frontline setting in diffuse slash visa lymphoma may change how we use in the second line. If we decide to use polatuzumab in untreated setting, I, I would probably select other agents rather than polatuzumab and rituximab at the time of relapse in the, in the same patient. I agree with you. I think that that's something that we're, that I'm not sure that everybody will uh, adopt polatuzumab chop, our chop, uh, but I think that we'll see that a significant proportion of our patients. Uh, and I think we'll have to adapt because I think that we, A, don't know if we can re-expose patients to uh, polatuzumab and obtain a, a, a response. Uh, I think most of us, I think kind of our oncology training says, don't re-expose the patient to a drug the patient uh, failed or, or, the, or that, that failed the patient. Um, but I think uh, uh, in theory, I think that we've seen it with brentuximab, the re-exposure to brentuximab sometimes can achieve responses. Um, it's it's definitely a, it's a shifting rug where things are moving. You know, we'll see patients that we'll see a mixture of patients that are relapsed after ARCHO, patients that are refractory to polatuzumab at the begin polar chop at the beginning. So it, it's it's kind of testing our adaptability uh, to choose what uh, is best for our patients. Um, and in addition to this, new drugs coming up on this refractory setting, and CAR T's kind of like I said before taking most of the oxygen out of the room. Um, so it's very interesting. Um, thank you very much. I think we'll uh, conclude this section of the series and we'll move on to the next uh, subject. Thank you. Thank you. Remember to receive your credit and evaluate this program. Please visit morningcommutepodcast.com forward slash bcell2. Look for all of the episodes in this series and all of our other podcasts on your favorite podcast streaming services or download our Morning Commute app. Thank you for joining us today.